0: Hello, my name is David Martinez. And today we're going to talk about how to be an influencer while you travel abroad. I was on a trip leading students. Uh, We started in Italy, went to Slovenia and ended in Croatia. But while we were in Italy, northern Italy, we were in the Dolomites and we we were doing this hike. Uh, just a couple of us, I think there were maybe six or seven of the students and myself, and we came upon a group of Spaniards. There were about, I would say, 15, 18 Spaniards, and I speak Spanish, I'm from Spain, so I started talking, hey, what's going on, How, you know, what are you up, what are you doing here? And they said, oh, we came here because there's this picture you can take, um, check it out, and they showed me there's an influencer with this pose, you know, with this like waterfall in the background, or I forget exactly what it was. And I said, oh, wow, that looks really beautiful. And he said, "Ah, don't worry, don't bother going because it's, you know, it's the wrong season. There's too much snow and it looks awful. So don't even bother. I mean, it's just up the road here, but you shouldn't even go. And that got me thinking a little bit about this, you know, this kind of newer thing. I'm a bit older, but this idea of influencers of taking pictures and not just now taking pictures, but now we're going to follow these influencers around to these different places to get the exact same picture. And... I can't help, but be a little bit sad about that. It seems to, it seems to take away a, a little bit of the adventure or the kind of finding those spots on your own, even though maybe in, in my, in my age, I guess <laughs> when I was young, like the, the similar kind of thing would have happened. I would have seen a picture in national geographic, or I would have seen a picture in some magazine and be like, I need to go see that place uh, in person. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted with this, Sort of social media um, influencer Instagram kind of way of traveling.
1: Yeah, well, it's it feels really new to, to guys like you and me, but it's been happening in little chunks for centuries. Um, the idea of the picturesque, the idea that we should travel to see things of all of our five senses, seeing things is important, goes back to before cameras. A, a, a Anglican minister called Gilpin, I think, in in the UK, wrote about how important the visual sense is. And he sort of wrote this manifesto for how we should collect pictures as travelers, This was back in the Romantic era, around the time of Wordsworth and other famous poets. Well, Within a few decades, the camera had been invented and suddenly you could literally fix these pictures. And so I think this is part of a conversation that goes back to there where we're sort of favoring our visual sense. We're isolating our visual sense instead of using all five senses in a place. And in a way we're erasing those places. Like the Spaniards you met are saying, yeah, don't go there, it's it's not worth it. When in fact, well, what are you gonna smell here or taste up there too, right? Uh, and so this, I mean, we've had a version of this conversation before. I talk about hiking with my wife in Colorado and like we're in a pretty isolated part of Colorado and this woman and her husband are like brushing their hair for like 10 minutes. Like they're basically primping and that like all of these amazing things are happening in Colorado, but they're basically preparing for a photo shoot. And this happens more and more often that we have isolated through services like Instagram, which I enjoy as much as anybody else. We have isolated the visual sense as the most important part of travel and also this sort of fake idea of perfection Mm -hmm. that the big cliche is that you have 200 influencers standing in line on a beach or a cliff to take a picture that makes it seem like they're the only person there. And that actually we're having less enjoyable experiences of travel, even as our photos show us having this amazing time because we're performing a version of travel for people who aren't even there. And so the sad part of this, I I think, is that instead of enjoying a time in a place in in its all five senses with the people we're with, we're sort of trying to harvest air quotes likes from people we don't know and may never know by being more impressive than the other people who come to this place and have also taken this picture. We're sort of in this Hermeneutic loop where we go to the place because of a picture, and then we take a picture that we try to make as much as possible like the picture that brought us there, forgetting that there's all these other amazing things that are way more affecting than the picture itself. Yeah, and I guess the critique or the response could be something along the lines of,
0: "Well, they're gonna also enjoy it. You know, they're just, they're taking this picture for the likes, in some way. You know, depending on your level of." Um, influence ability. <laughs> uh, you're going to make more or less money, or maybe you're trying to achieve this dream of being an influencer. Uh, and so we're going to get the picture. It's going to take 30 minutes or however long it's going to take. And then I'm going to go enjoy. And, and so maybe there's a way to have it both ways. Potentially. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I don't, I also, am on Instagram and well, I mean, I post something every couple of months, uh, but I'm also older. I understand, you know, that there's new technology, all the time. And this is the way uh, people are now connecting. This is how they communicate. This is how, how they travel. But there is, there's another part of this, which is, uh, you know, how ubiquitous it is, how we, the, the phone is always there, uh, for all purposes. It's not just to take pictures. It's also to help us navigate. I, you know, and so that's where I'm a little bit conflicted because I have a horrible sense of direction. I get lost very easily. Uh, but I never had any, Problems necessarily. Yeah, I got lost a lot, but I I was never in any real danger before I had a smartphone. But now the thought of going to a foreign country without this ability to easily navigate to a different place is a little bit terrifying. But that also takes away the opportunity to what I used to do, which is ask questions, and and that's another way to get to know people. Right? I had another way to enter the enter the culture. So I think there's there's a lot of things here with you know, the taking pictures for social media, but also using your phone and then this constant like pull to always be looking at your phone, which then detracts from one of the, or hopefully one of
1: many reasons why you wanted to travel, right? Beyond taking pictures, right? Yeah, it, it's a it's a habit of home that we bring with us. And again, it's hard not to bring your phone these days because it's your GPS, it's your camera, it, it it's your guidebook in a certain sense. Um it is your rec- restaurant recommendations and it's, it's a way to translator say as well. hi. It's your translator. It's a way to say hi to mom. It's a way to post and impress people on social media. It's hard to not use. I mean, I, I've been fairly critical of like smartphone technologies since they were available. But I remember one day sitting in a hotel in North Carolina and thinking, well, I wonder what the weather's like. And so instead of going outside, I opened my weather app. I was like ten steps from being outside, and open my weather app, and it's sort of this Homer Simpson dolt moment where <laughs> it's like, yeah, I critique this all the time, but now I'm beholden to the same things because it is convenient. And so, I think one danger of this is being is is a generational thing. You know, if you have experiences of just asking directions when you're lost, or you know, striking up a conversation with your when you're bored, uh, as we have as as non digital natives, then it's easy to critique people who have never had that as an option, you know? I think when we're bored, for better, for worse, phones give us distractions. When we're bored, even for a few minutes, we can do things like listen to this podcast, right? (laughs) Um, But um, humans are so resourceful. And I think travel is one thing that reminds you of your resourcefulness as a human and of the kindnesses that we extend to each other as humans. And one way to, not really travel is to be looking down at our black mirror all the time instead of looking out out at the world and interacting in that way. And so, uh, in in my new book The Vagabond's Way, I, I talk about how in 1999, um, virtual technology, virtual reality technology was pretty new in a place like San Francisco. And there's this article in the San Francisco Chronicle that says, thanks to virtual reality technology, you can travel the world without leaving your home. Well, you know, 20 years later, now it's like. Now you can um, not leave your home when you travel the world. You know that that was the idea That's that good. you have this virtual reality screen that could take you around the world. Well, now you have this this little you know electronic umbilical cord in your pocket, and you're sort of doing the same things that you do before. I mean, again, to 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 level the critique at myself. A few years ago, I was in Sumatra, amazing place um, on this really isolated beach. For $18 a day, I was getting three meals and a place to sleep. I could swim in a reef of butterfly fish, but sometimes in the evening, I'd come back and listen to podcasts that I'd downloaded because it's a way to burn off the time, you know. And, and maybe it was fine, maybe it's not. I'm not sure how self critical I'm going to be, but just 10, 20 years before then, I would have been forced to make sense of that evening. I would have talked to the people who owned that. I would have gone for a little walk in the jungle. I would have just sat in in my boredom and read a paper book or something. And so I think that this is generational or not, it's an ongoing conversation that is a part of how we all travel these days.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I've conflicted as well. I often don't plug my phone in uh, at night. In fact, right now my phone is at 30% or something like that. And I often talk about how the happiest moment in my life is when my phone runs out of battery. Because then I'm just not going to hear this buzzing, the emails that come in, you know, the, the messages and so forth. My wife is, gets frustrated, uh, of course, because this is a way to communicate. Uh, but one of the happiest or one of the most memorable trips for me was a week in Cuba uh, some years ago, 10, 10, 12 years ago. And part of the joy of that trip was, uh, you know, there's no data. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any access to the Internet. was I'm walking, there was Internet. There wasn't even Wi-Fi at the hotel. It was there was a computer, like old school. You know, you go down to the lounge and you could log in. And I think in one week I logged in once or twice. It was really slow internet. I sent a quick email to my wife, uh, but for a whole week there wasn't this like constant buzzing sound in my in my pocket. And after a couple of days, uh, I you kind of get used to. Other things that you enjoy. And I'm sounding really old right now, right? The, you could hear the birds chirping, you know. <laughs> but that—that's kind—that's the culture that was that was there in Havana, the, the main plaza, Plaza Revolución, where you know tons of people congregate and they talk to each other and they share news and they play chess and they talk about baseball and and to to be immersed in that for very vibrant and um, you know collegial kind of conversations, it, it was amazing. It was one of the happiest one of my most memorable trips that I've, that I've ever taken. And I attribute a large part of that to the, my lack of a phone, you know, for, for lack of a better uh, word. But at the same time, as you say, I, I cannot think of a, of a situation in which I would go on a trip and not take my phone with me. It's I, I don't know that I could do that lately. Every so often I've tried to leave my phone at home um, just to see what happens. Right. And, and, it's funny because you and I both—we didn't grow up with cell phones, right? And and so we had we learned, you know, and, there, and and maybe at the beginning we were it was a little bit different, but now it's just it's it's an extension of, of who we are. Do you, would you would you ever travel with? I mean, would you ever go to a foreign country um, without a phone? Is that is that something you would
1: consider as kind of a, an experiment, as it were, and then write about it? Right. Well, <laughs> it's funny that that's a stunt now to travel right. without a, a smartphone is is this crazy stunt that you can do to write about. Actually, um, when I went with my wife to Paris last summer, we didn't get data plans. And so we could use it on Wi-Fi at our Airbnb. But when we were out in the streets, we could use our phones as cameras, but not um, to use for other sorts of information. And this it was, was intentional? Like you didn't it was intentional, yeah. To do yeah, we just decided not to get that as a data plan. And so we, what we did is, she's a big foodie, so she would find the restaurants that she was curious about and mark them in pencil on our paper map. And so part of the fun for us were having these adventures where we were disconnected and we had our paper map and we would use it around and we would get nominally lost, not dangerously lost. But part of the fun was not just that our mission was planned around a paper map with a few dots on it, but there were no distractions. There was no buddy texting this or no temptation while we were waiting in line for this museum or this restaurant to see what was happening on Instagram or something like that. And so that was a fun, a fun little exercise that was really rewarding. We didn't miss that phone at all. I mean, there's there's some situations I was teaching a class like students may have had questions that I wasn't able to answer for several hours, but at the end of the day, that's tough luck. We were having a good time. We were enjoying a distraction. And this ties into work life too, is that it used to be a big separation between work and not work. Well, now when your boss can text you at nine at night and say, oh, by the way, um, then then it really, we allow this to, not set boundaries on how we live. And your, your Cuba story reminded me of a Cuba story of my own at the time. This was before smartphones, but my Cuban friends, we would go out and just as an American, I, I always had more money than them. So I, I sort of insisted that I was going to buy dinner or drinks in this situation. And Finally, my friend Marcel said, stop, just stop throwing money at, at the night and let's just be Cubans for tonight. And so my Cuban friends were very well-educated but didn't have much money, but they could milk. we I don't know how many times we stayed up till three, four, five in the morning, not spending money, walking around, having conversations, maybe pooling what money we, we could scrape together. They wouldn't let me pay more than my share um, to get a little bit of food or something to drink. And that as a constraint was part of the joy mm-hmm. of that exercise, just like the constraint with my wife in paris of not having an active cell phone for anything besides photos it made things interesting and so i think sometimes so many problems can be solved by a thing like a phone that we realize that it can, the constraint of certain problems makes your day more interesting and so just like we had a blast we didn't stay up till 5 in the morning in havana just because just on arbitrarily yeah. we were doing it because with very little money we were having a great time and of course cubans stay outside and and stay up late in in a way that maybe other cultures don't. But um, I love that. Um, And so I think maybe for people who are digital natives and don't have the perspective of not really ever not having a smartphone, find a way to play games with it, you know, do a stunt, you know, (laughs) Um, just maybe it's, it can be a show offy thing in its own way. It's like, yeah, we're gonna spend the next four hours with no data from our phone at all. We're gonna walk around, we're gonna walk until our day becomes interesting. And that can be a blast. Uh, And that can be rewarding in a way that um, you need not throw your phone away, but you can put it away for a while and see what happens. and if it's the worst experience of your life, which it probably won't be, it's probably <laughs> going to be fine. Then then you can use your phone all the time uh, anyway. But I, it's it's so not necessary. Humans have been traveling for millennia without smartphones. <laughs> um, and it's been fine. Um, yeah. yeah. My, my, it reminds me, my brother-in-law, when he came to, to
0: visit us in the United States, he lives in Spain. Um, he and his wife, and they... They opted to not get data, and they opted not to get a GPS, and so oh, they're okay. going to travel. And they did this uh, this cross country thing. Uh, they were in Detroit, you know, they like in these cities and so forth. And and part of the choice or the decision uh, is that the all of these devices and you know the GPS it kind of numbs the mind. Is was his. Kind of critique of, of of these of these technologies, and uh, he wants to be able to figure that out. He wants to be able to the, the direction, old school maps, and so forth. And to me, for some reason, that sounds terrifying because again, I have a terrible sense of direction. But I did the same thing. Uh, and by the way, my brother-in-law is, is very minimal in, in his digital use. He still has a flip phone, famously. Right? He's got nice. this Nokia old phone.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, refuses to get a smartphone and so forth. So that's kind of his mentality. But I remember a, a trip I took across country where. I refused, or I'd not, I not. I didn't have very much money, but I was stopping at different gas stations along the way and looking. They used to sell maps. I don't even know if they sell maps anymore. Um, the Rand McNally or mm. whatever the maps were, and I'd look at the map and kind of try to figure out, jot a couple things down on a piece of paper, and then keep driving. And that was that was fun. I mean, I, I think back now to that, and uh, and, and you're kind of more at least in my memory of it, you're kind of more in the moment and present. You're looking out for certain things. Whereas with the GPS, you're kind of distracted. You're not really paying attention to which turns. Uh, and so this is where, again, I'm conflicted because I still use my GPS in Newburgh. In fact, I used it yesterday. to take my daughter to piano classes and the house is like f- literally five minutes away. Uh, but it was just easier to put in an address than it is to kind of figure out which which roads they are. Uh, but I want to, I want to switch back to go back. We've talked a little bit about social media and uh, cause I think it's, it's connected right with this, with the cell phone use, um, you know, constantly looking down, how do we, or how, how do we navigate this and how do we talk about this without coming across as two old guys who are like social media bad, you know, Right? <laughs> is yeah. there a way that we can kind of, I don't know, um, reconcile these two, these two ways of traveling.
1: Yes, I mean, I think it's about finding a balance. And I myself, um, I was in DC, my wife was in a play there, and I was also using my GPS for destinations that were three minutes away, and I could probably have found them just as easily without it. And so I think it's easy to talk about the evils of a smartphone or social media while being the semi-hypocritical person who also uses them and enjoys them quite a bit. And so I think it's it's a matter of just sort of being respectful of how we all use these technologies while gently reminding each other that we don't need to because humans have been independent of them for a long time. Um, my first uh, a big, real vagabonding trip was right after I spent time on this campus at George Fox. I saved a little money as a landscaper in Seattle. I lived in a van. This was before even dial-up internet was in my life. Dial-up internet was pretty rare. It was 1994. It was all paper maps and pay phones and it worked. I mean, to this day, I I say, you can only travel America when you're 23 once. And it was such a special time in my life and technology had very little to do with it, Mm. you know, apart from gas stations and telephones, you know? And so I think if we remind each other that it is possible that you don't have to be dependent on these things. And also the idea that travel is a blessing, that travel is a rarefied place where you've, you've, you've gone into this amazing tube called an airplane and suddenly in, in a historically short amount of time, you're on another continent experiencing this place and that you're really robbing seconds of your life every time you're looking down at your phone instead of looking up and around at this place that is so affecting and can teach you so much and humble you in so many ways. Um, If you would just get over that uncomfortableness that you always default to phone mode with, and and again, we, I don't. We don't want to be the 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 shaking our fist at another generation. Get off my lawn, guys. <laughs> but I think it's good to gently remind each other that there are other ways to navigate through landscapes, um, and that some of the earliest uh, pilgrims of antiquity were pilgrims. People like Agaria, who traveled from Spain to the Holy Land years ago, just sort of using the kindness of strangers and what little information she had. And this is before. Paper was very common, right? It, not only were there no guidebooks, there wasn't much paper, mm. and so she just went from way station to way station, and you know, as a person of faith, and and she was delivered, and we still talk about her almost two thousand years later because she was a person who just did it. She didn't have a smartphone or or, or anything, right? <clears throat> and actually, this is a t- she was a woman too. There were certain in, in, in attendant dangers in traveling as a woman but she just made it happen and she made it happen in a memorable way. And some of the great things about reading her journals are just how grateful she was, you know, that she really loved that these monks in the Sinai were a host to her and she was grateful for that. And I I think sometimes our our smartphones turn us into consumers of life where we're gonna put up an angry Yelp review at this day when we should remember to be grateful in whatever form the day takes shape for the blessing that that day is, and I think that if we're always locked into look down at the black mirror mode, then we're we're being less spiritually present in our lives. You know, yeah. we're less likely to be grateful and to take advantage of the blessing of that life is. Um, yeah, that reminds me of you mentioned earlier this
0: the, the distraction. There's a great book called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr, mm. um, published some ten years ago or so, and uh, and he talks about the internet. We see the internet as this, you know, all these um, as a, as a tool, as a way to do things. But really, the internet is a source of distraction, and and I think that has helped me understand as we're talking about boundaries and and balance. That yeah, the internet can do a lot of things, but if you see it also as a source of distraction, maybe it becomes a little bit easier to let go of that source of distraction, particularly when you travel, because I think you are going to miss out on a lot of things. Um, if you, as you say, if you're always like looking to fill your time, you know, and, and, and be distracted as you travel. Cause that's not, presumably you didn't travel to do the same things you're doing uh, back at home.
1: So yeah, I like that. I, I think a good metaphor here is, is, is smell, which is the slowest scent. There's a, a Swiss Korean philosopher called Byung-Chul Han who wrote a book called The Scent of Time. He's basically saying it's not the number of experiences that make life meaningful, but it's the duration of those experiences, which is sort of an abstract way of basically saying that, like you can't replicate smell through your smartphone. You have to wait for smell. You can't rush through a bunch of different smells. And, and, and like, I'm sure some people are maybe listening to this podcast on double speed. You can speed up sound. <laughs> or you, take away this, the spaces in between, right? Or you can, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually like the metaphor for a smartphone, you're, you're, you're sweeping through, you're going through Instagram, one after another, beautiful photos that generations ago, people never saw in their lifetime. And you're just flicking through them. You can't do that with smell. So I think if you use smell as a metaphor for what you might be missing if you're rushing too much, um, then that can make you more present in a place and make you realize that it's more than just that photo or that noise or, or whatever is going on, that you have these other senses that can 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 deepen your life. And again, Americans, we're, we're a culture where rich people will eat standing up because it's more efficient yes. and barely taste their food. Whereas people in poor countries will spend a lot of time with their families, which rich people often don't have a lot of family time, slowly cooking a meal, what they can afford and eating it together in ways that we forget that that form of wealth is something that we ignore now. Yeah. Or coffee, the The idea of, of
0: coffee to go, it was, was mm-hmm. pretty rare. I think it's a little bit more common in Europe now, but this idea, like a drive-through and we yeah. have a ton of them, of them in Newburgh. You don't have enough time to sit down and have a cup of coffee. You have to do that on the go, on your way to doing something,
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually have, I have friends who visited me in Paris, American friends who were like, where's the Starbucks? It's like, well, every, every place has coffee. Every, <laughs> every little place has coffee. But well, yeah, but I want to walk with my cup. And it's like, well, French people don't walk with their cup. Yes. And in fact, they have these little zinc bars in Paris where you just, you get a shot of coffee. Like the reason that espresso culture is about not walking with your cup, but like getting your caffeine fix and then walking. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I think, America is influencing these cultures too, but there's a time in in a place like Paris, if you were walking and eating a sandwich, then you were a crazy person because nobody would do that. Why would you walk and eat and drink a cup of coffee or a Coke at the same time? Well, it's American efficiency culture that's bleeding in other places. And maybe it's, you know, as tourists, we want to do as much as possible in Paris, but again, Parisian people are not doing that. So relax and be Parisian yeah. for a while and enjoy a slow lunch. Oh, you or forgot you have to do all those things and you got to take a picture of it and you got to get
0: a selfie of it <laughs> exactly. so that you can post it
1: to Instagram. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, yeah. I
0: remember I I was in Yeah, so the 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 influencer phenomenon it's it's another one of those finding a balance things because it is it's one of those things that you love to make fun of. And yet I also post to Instagram, again, not very, I don't have aspirations of, of ever making money on Instagram. Uh, I remember when I was in split, uh, you know, we took this boat tour, went out to this quaint little town and I saw a, what I imagined to be either a model or an influencer of some sort. And she was wearing this beautiful kind of long dress. And these two dudes were kind of up to her side and they were kind of spreading it out and then they were letting it go. And it was like fluttering in the wind. And then they were snapping a shot of it, right? And I observed this for about 15, 20 minutes or so, and they were all miserable. They just looked like they were having the worst day of their life. But for a split second, when the, you know, when the wings or whatever, they were were fluttering, they were, they were, you know, they were smiling. And I remember feeling kind of sad for them. You know, this is, I, again, I don't really know. I'm reading into the situation a little bit. I don't know, maybe this is her job and this is how she makes a living. But it, it kind of it speaks into this sort of influencer thing where we're we're creating a reality that's not really the reality. Uh, and I, again, I'm conflicted because I also travel and I want to get that selfie with the shot and, you know, with the beautiful waterfall in the background. I want to share this with people. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bit conflicted on, on, on this technology um, social media, Instagram, et cetera. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm, I'm not going to be the, the old guy, get off my lawn, but I'm also going to be, I got to be somewhere in the middle, you know, put your phone down. Maybe this
1: isn't that big a deal. I don't know. I don't know where to land on this. Yeah. It's like we're performing our lives instead of living them. And I think this is something we can mitigate maybe by just giving ourselves a quarantine, you're like, okay, one hour of phone time a day. <laughs> we're gonna harvest all the pictures of us pretending to have fun, and then let's actually have fun. Uh, and again, again, it's tough. Even, I think I was telling you the story about the influencers I ran into in Colorado the other day. The I showed you a picture I took of the influencers <laughs> and my wife in Colorado. So even- So we're hypocrites. Our, even, even our critique of influencer culture is is best is often best told by the picture that shows our ironic picture of the of the influencers, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I, I think just unplugging, insofar it's possible, you yeah. know, maybe if we can't all be luddites and and throw our phones in the ocean, but maybe if we put them in our pockets uh, and keep them on airplane mode and just force ourselves to pay attention, it's a theme that comes up a lot in my new book, is that by paying attention to life is how we get things out of it, you know, and, and by, by paying attention to other people, not mediated through a phone screen is how we make connections with those people. And so it'll be an ongoing conversation. Uh, you and I as, as aging dudes in a studio in Oregon are not gonna have a silver bullet that will always make sense for everybody. But I think if it becomes a conversation, if, if the questions raised by um, the complications of social media continue to be a part of the conversation, then maybe we all as travelers can live a life that, wherein our technology is helping us more and hindering us less, if yeah. we allow it to. But to be honest, let's be honest, and it is kind of
0: fun to make fun of the influencer culture yeah, well, a little, bit a little bit to some extent. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite. You were talking earlier about
1: about the uh, there's an account an Instagram account that kind of tracks this. It's called Influencers in the Wild, where, in where the you can wild. sort of film influencers influencing. <laughs> And of course, if an influencer out of context is ridiculous because somebody doing a twerk dance in the middle of a street in New York is actually sort of a nuisance. Um, It might look good through the selfie lens, but it actually looks absurd in other situations. So I guess that's my little plug, influencers in the wild, it's, it's it's a guilty pleasure where you just go in and see people who are telling their own stories through a very narrow phone lens who just look absurd in the wider lens of the world that they are trying to perform themselves in. Okay, I was in Quito, Ecuador, some
0: years ago, and we went to the the center of the world. Uh, there, there's like a monument where this been is there, the yeah. equator. Yeah, it's not actually there though. You know, it's right. like it's a little bit further down the road, but they kind of made a mistake, and so the, the monument is still there. Uh, and there was an influencer with a couple of dancers, and they were doing this dance right in front. And I joined them. I went up there and and with a couple of my friends. It was a juniors abroad trip, and we. Uh, several of us got in there and we, we kind of learned the dance and, and uh, no, it wasn't juniors abroad. It was, it was a study abroad thing I was there for anyway. uh, And I, again, this is one of those things where I, did I join ironically? Was there a part of me that was kind of, I'm going to be on this person's social media viewed by thousands of of people Uh, in my mind, I was making fun of it right? I was right. doing it ironically, but anyway, again, it's one of those things where it's just, it's a lot of fun to make fun of and, uh, but still a very much a part of a part of, um, travel, you know, it is, it is everywhere. Um, we've we talked about, uh, Nicholas Carr's book, the shallows, which again, I think is, is very helpful in this, in this conversation because you can see the internet as what it is, which is, um, it, a GPS and all these other tools. But if you reframe it as a source of distraction. It can also give you those moments where you can put the phone away. But there's another great book um, called In the Absence of the Sacred by Jerry Mander. And in, in the book, he talks a lot about how we have become very good at, or we're attempting to fill our time. We we become time fillers. Like here, we have a chunk of time. We have to fill it with something. And so mm-hmm. there's this idea that if you're scrolling, you're actually doing something. Uh, you're reading the news, but you're not really reading the news. You're just kind of reading headlines. And so uh, in this book, he's encouraging um, us to, as you've as you've mentioned, slow down uh, and let the trip happen to you. Let these experiences come to you, and that's going to be way more fulfilling.
1: Yeah. You know, I was thinking that um, The Shallows is actually kind of an old book now. I think that every time a book that is written about technology, it says some true things, but then technology shifts and there's even more to say about it. And so a book that I have read recently is Ginny O'Dell's How to, what is it? How to do nothing, Um, which is sort of about not filling your time with pointless distractions. It's really, it's a really smart book. She has another book coming out this year about time that I have yet to read, but I want to read. But then I mentioned Byung-Chul uh, Han's uh, The Scent of Time earlier, which is a very difficult philosophical book um, that is sort of addressing these questions of, of how to live, really. They're technological questions, but it's like, how do you live? And so one thing that just popped into my head just now is like Thomas Merton um, or Thich Nhat Hanh, people who write about spiritual issues, At the at the end of the day, even though it, it's technically about technology, it's sort of about how to live. It's these more spiritual questions of how to live. And so, um, like I like Ginny O'Dell's book, I'm, I'm familiar with the with the book, The Shallows. One thing that my wife and I do often, we start our day by reading Thomas Merton or Thich Nhat Hanh or a poet like Mary Oliver, and that cuts through the technological moment we're in to these basic questions of how best to live. Mary Oliver's poems are often about nature, which doesn't change that much. You know, Thomas Merton, his writing is uh, who is a Trappist monk is very much about contemplation. Um, and he was very, um, he in his own 1950s way was trying to balance the modernity with the more ancient spiritual practices. And, and so, I think this is a conversation that isn't unique to travel because travel forces us into out of our comfort zone at many levels. If we can continue to hold in a in that zone of discomfort, we can really grow in multiple ways by putting our smartphone in our pockets for a few hours. You know, it's it's crazy to think about. Or, and hear me out, leave it at the hotel. Ooh, yeah. gasp! Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, shall we spin the globe? Let's spin the globe see, and see what happens.
1: No cheating. Oh, I I, I was joking before that I would probably end up in the middle of the ocean, and I did. I'm in the middle of, actually I'm not in the middle of the ocean, it's the Marianas Islands, it's near the Philippines. So I'm gonna cheat over to the Philippines. That was the first tropical country I ever went to. Really? Um, I'd spent some time in Korea, but Korea is sort of a four season country like the US. And so one thing we talked about smell, when I stepped off the plane in the Philippines, my nose knew I was in (laughs) a place I'd never been to before, that everywhere you go in a place like Manila, you, it's like the smell is turned up to 11 to use an old metaphor from the 1980s. That basically, again, if, if, if the scent of time is slower than in places like a tropical country like the Philippines really puts you into the sense of smell because it's like, is that, there's a little bit of spice and a little bit of fruit. And I think that might be feces or something. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like, there's just so much more richness in the smell sense in a place in the tropics And of course, I've I've traveled to many other places in the tropics since then. Some of my favorite places in the world to travel are places like Thailand or Myanmar. Um, But, Yeah, that was my first taste of a tropical country. And I used taste, that's one sensory thing, and I ate some great food there, but the smell was just, it just blew my mind that any place could have that many smells going on (laughs) at once. At the same time. Yeah,
0: We were, my wife and I were living in Taiwan and we had heard Mm -hmm. about the swimming with the whale sharks in the Philippines. And so that was what we decided to do for Chinese New Year. So this is a rookie mistake. We, I liked, I used to like to travel kind of spontaneously. I, I don't like booking hotels in advance. I don't like, cause I don't, I don't want the trip to be prescribed. I want to be able to, to arrive and then figure it out as I, as I get there. But it turns out that a lot of people in Asia traveled around Chinese new year. Hmm. So we, we, uh, we arrived in Manila, went to Legazpi right outside there. We swam with the whale sharks. It was one of the most ex- incredible experiences I'm going on a juniors abroad trip this year, taking students to um, to to do this, um, swimming with the whale sharks. And then we went to Palawan mm. and went up north to El Nido. It's this very small town and there were no hotels, no hostels, nowhere to stay. And my wife and I were walking around this town trying to figure out where are we going to sleep tonight? And we ended up in this restaurant. The owner happened to be German. My wife is German. We're chatting back and forth and we're like, we don't have, there's nowhere nowhere to stay. And he said, oh, you can stay in our back. In our back patio, and sure enough, he had two benches, right. I'm talking maybe 30 meters from the from the beach, from the water, and that's where we spent the night, trying to get some like mosquito nets, and uh, and it was a memorable experience. Um, I loved. I had a great time in the Philippines, but it was a good lesson too. You know, if you're gonna travel around Chinese New Year. Maybe, maybe that's a time where you should <laughs> prescribe the trip a little bit and, and make some plans and book some hotels. But I, I loved it, loved the food, incredible food. And yeah, I had a great time in the Philippines.
1: That, that's a constraint too. Like just sort of talking about how leaving it your your phone in your hotel is an interesting constraint or not letting your, you couldn't not letting you pay the bill all the time and using less money to have a more interesting night. Uh, it's a similar thing. If you if you travel during a high season, then you have certain constraints that that will make you, that will force you to find the place where you sleep on the patio. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, tourist low season is interesting too. Oftentimes, well, tourists never go to this part of Thailand because it rains all day, every day during this time of year. Well, sometimes you go to a place where it rains all day, every day, there's no tourists, but local people are interested in you. And yeah. Um, so again I think it's an interesting theme that's come up in this conversation is the idea of constraints which we sometimes think of as bummers you know oh we're here during Chinese New Year there's too many people here oh my phone battery is dead oh um, I, uh, my Cuban friends aren't letting me spend all this money I have and then all of a sudden you have this really interesting experience because you've pushed outside of that comfort zone mm-hmm. um, into a different kind of constraint that, that has given you the blessing again of, of a unplanned spontaneous experience where you, uh, that allows you to be surprised. Yeah.
0: Well, as always, we should travel more. You should experience new things and you should be careful most of the time. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu. talks Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Uh, shall we spin the globe? Let's spin the Let's globe. Let's spin the globe. All All right. Are you ready? I'm ready.
1: I'm not cheating. Ooh, wow. I have West Africa. When we spin the globe, I'm almost afraid I'm going to land in the middle of the ocean and have nothing <laughs> to talk about. It's funny that I'm a well-traveled guy. I have never been to West Africa. The closest I've come is Morocco. Okay. Um we can spin the globe again, but but as an aside, I have this little game called You Don't Know Africa. It's it's sort of this geography quiz game on my smartphone, actually, <laughs> but to learn your geography. Because I haven't traveled in West Africa, I didn't know the geography very well, but now I, I do know that uh, it's the Ivory Coast, right?
0: Nice. Um, very good. I also have not been, well, besides Morocco, which we've already talked about. Uh, I've not been to, to um, West Africa either. But it's funny you mentioned Africa. Uh, I, I play on my smartphone, Wardle, and, mm-hmm, and several mm-hmm. of the, you know, Stadel. And, and there's one that's, that's a geography one where it gives you the shape of the country and you have to guess the country. And when I, when I get close to the country, when I realize that the country is in Africa, I normally give up because hmm. I just don't know geography too well in Africa. That was pointless for the podcast, right? Should we spin it again? Yeah, you want to just do that. Sure. Yeah.
1: That was gold, though. Gold, I tell you. (laughs) All right.